Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. You're listening to World Weekly with me, Ferdinando Giuliano. This weekend's elections for the European Parliament have transformed the continent's political landscape. Anti-establishment parties have scored remarkable victories in countries such as France, Greece and the UK and will now present a sizable contingent in the European Parliament. Mainstream forces did less well, but good results from Angela Merkel's CDU in Germany and Matteo Renzi's Democratic Party in Italy shows that voters have not completely turned their back at the EU. Joining me down the line from France is Hugh Carnegie, the FT's Paris bureau chief. From Italy, Guy Dinmore, the FT's Rome correspondent. And with me in the studio in London is Tony Barber, the FT's Europe editor. Hugh, let's start with you. Quite a remarkable result for the Front National in France. It was a remarkable result. For the first time, the Front National has come first in a nationwide election. And they got their highest score by some margin, about 25% of the vote. Their previous highest was recorded by Marine Le Pen, the party leader in the last presidential election two years ago when she got 18%. So definitely a significant breakthrough by the Front National, which has shaken the two mainstream parties of the left, that is the Socialist Party of President Hollande and the centre-right party of former President Nicolas Sarkozy, the UMP, shaken those two parties very severely. Do you think this was more a protest vote? Was it an anti-EU vote? Or is it more that the economic crisis is really taking the toll on the mainstream parties? There's a mixture of factors here, and I think we can start with the general, what everybody here terms malaise in France, at the root of which, of course, is an economy that is just stubbornly not moving forward very much, if at all, and unemployment, which has continued to rise. And so there is a general feeling of real kind of disillusion and concern that the Front National has fed off. When you add into that a very unpopular president, Uh, in President Hollande, a general feeling that his socialist government has wasted the last two years and is not really doing anything effective to get things moving, combined with the centre-right party, the UMP, in a situation of internal disarray, lacking a leader, and indeed this week now imploding somewhat with a, with a party funding scandal, you have the factors uniting, coming together in favour of Marine Le Pen's insurgency. And so I think a lot of people have used their vote as a kind of protest vote. But what you can also see over the past few years is a trend which suggests that increasing numbers of French people are prepared to vote for the Front National, as it were, in a, in a positive way that the party certainly believes is one of adhesion, as they say in French, not simply of protest. So there are a number of trends coming together here to explain, I think, this surge in support for Marine Le Pen. Right. Whereas in Italy, it seems like the shock was the really big victory for Matteo Renzi's Democratic Party. This is an incumbent, a mainstream party, and yet its result was exceptional by Italian standards. Guy, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it's certainly very unusual. Uh, the historians are reminding us that this is only the third time since the war that a party in Italy has secured more than 40% of the vote. So it is a remarkable vote. And what is more extraordinary is that obviously the turnout was, was less than in the general elections a year ago, and yet uh, Matteo Renzi's Democratic Party actually increased their absolute number of votes by over 2 million. He was the incumbent, but of course he'd only just arrived in office, so he had the benefit of being the new man. He's very young. Uh, his message of reforms and of positive message of, you know, we can change Italy and we can change Europe obviously reverberated much more with an electorate that was getting very alarmed by the far more radical revolutionary message being put out by the Five Star Movement, the anti-establishment party that, that did very well in general elections a year ago. But given that the economy is still stuck virtually in, in recession, it, it actually contracted in the last quarter, the malaise, as Hugh puts it in France, is, is still very much evident in Italy. That this, this result is even more extraordinary. Do you have a sense that the Italian experience has anything to teach to other uh, mainstream parties in Europe? I mean, wh what do you think Matteo Renzi got right, which President Hollande or, uh, for example, David Cameron in the UK didn't? Ah, well, that's a very interesting question. I mean, I think he is lucky in the sense that he has benefited from a peculiar set of Italian circumstances. The, the centre-right party of Silvio Berlusconi is, is imploding. Their leader was not even able to vote because he's been convicted for tax fraud. He is the new man, so he's not necessarily being blamed for, for all the ills of the past. His slogan is, is one of the, the demolition man, but more in a sort of positive sense. The European issues in Italy, to be honest, were, were not quite as important, perhaps, as, as well, certainly not as important as, as in Britain. So it, it was a sort of referendum on the first three months of Renzi's government, and he has managed to achieve some results. And, and the most notable of that, was, of course, was that he, he cut taxes and he put 80 euros a month back into the pockets of workers. And whereas Hollande began his office promising to increase taxes and is now seems to be two steps behind Renzi. So the anti-austerity message of, of Renzi, his willingness to challenge Europe head on, certainly helped him in Italy. Tony, there is a new parliament now which will uh, convene and its structure, it's a lot more mixed than in the last one. Will the rise of Eurosceptic forces affect in any way the functioning of the parliament? And uh, do you expect there to be significant problems for uh, mainstream forces to push through the legislation they would like to, to push through? Well, the results show that there has been uh, a sharp drop in the number of seats going to the mainstream centre-right party, the European People's Party, and a smaller fall in the number of seats going to the main centre-left group, the socialist group. And therefore, it won't be quite so easy to form... Uh, comfortable majorities on issues where the main pro-EU parties uh, tend to see eye to eye. It'll need a little bit more work than in the past, I think. On the other hand, I don't see a really significant challenge to legislation coming from the populist uh, parties in the European Parliament because they will only have roughly one-fifth or a little bit more of the seats. They tend not to cooperate with, with each other. And they also actually don't have a very good attendance record in the Parliament or even a record of taking part in committee work. They, they, they prefer to use the Parliament as a sort of pulpit to shout their message from. So in that sense, I don't think they, they will be particularly important. However, where they will make a difference is quite likely in 
scaring uh, EU governments from taking the rather hard and possibly unpopular measures necessary to strengthen the system of uh, economic governments in the Eurozone. The other reason why this election was important was for the first time European parties had picked some spokesmen which could potentially be their candidates for the presidency of the European Commission. We had Martin Schulz for the Socialist and Juncker for the European People Party with Verhofstadt for the Liberals. Now, do you see any of these three people being the next Commission president or do you think European governments which ultimately make the, the final choice will opt for someone else? It's early days, of course. Uh, a decision doesn't have to be taken uh, in, in the next week or even month, so we'll have to see. However, I, I think it's unlikely that any of those three leading candidates will get the commission presidency. I, I think it's more likely that a compromise will emerge under which most likely Jean-Claude Juncker will be offered a different job that is that is available, and that is the chairman of the council which groups the European Union's 28 heads of government. It's currently held by Herman van Rompuy. He'll be leaving. That job could be offered to Juncker as a way of wriggling out of the need to bow to the European Parliament's wishes to have one of these candidates as commission president. I, I would predict that the commission president will be someone whose candidacy has not yet been formally declared. And Hugh, what's next for President Hollande? Uh, this is a big defeat for him. Of course, he has already changed prime minister. So what can he do to try and raise support for himself and for his government? Well, a lot of the commentators in France are saying that he's doing nothing. He's changing nothing. After he suffered a bad defeat in local elections in March, as you mentioned, he changed his government and kind of up the pace of reform policies towards a more pro-business stance. He's promising more tax cuts and to push through a pretty, by French standards, pretty tough program of public spending cuts. And he's said very clearly since Sunday night that he will push ahead with that program, that he's not going to be changed off course by that. But he is in a very feeble position. And there's a lot of disquiet within his own Socialist Party ranks about this program. It's not popular at all on the left. But as one of his senior ministers said to me the other day, he says he has nothing left to lose. He's at uh, opinion poll ratings that are record lows for, for a French president. He's got three years left in office in which to try to turn things around. And clearly, his only strategy left remaining is to stick to his guns on what, his, uh, what he's put into place now and hope against hope that the economy will pick up and that uh, there will be some significant fall in unemployment over the next couple of years to give him half a chance of re-election in 2017. And Guy, what about Matteo Renzi? Some commentators are suggesting he might use this popularity to actually go and push harder for reforms because his other coalition partners or even his opposition will not want to go to an early election. Yes, I mean, an, an opportunistic party leader now would probably go straight for elections, especially as Renzi has not been elected as prime minister. He was the mayor of Florence before. He's never stood himself in a national election. But, in fact, Renzi is, is saying this is not what he's going to do. Instead, he, he sees the vote as a mandate for him to, he says, accelerate his reforms. That means changes to the Constitution, abolition of, of the Senate to make for simpler government, reforms to the labor market, which are very controversial. He'll have to overcome the opposition of the unions. And because he has this complicated arithmetic in a very divided parliament, he, he still needs the support of uh, Silvio Berlusconi's centre-right party to, to push some of these things through. 
But now that he has this large endorsement, we can say, from the public to go ahead with these reforms, um, he can always threaten to hold the elections if, if Berlusconi and the, and the others don't, don't back him. But hopefully he will also show himself to be something of a statesman and, you know, he will compromise rather than thrust solutions down the throats of his opponents and, and, and actually get something done before Italy goes to the polls. Renzi says he wants to stay in office till 2018 when this legislature finishes, but I think a lot of people believe that we could still be facing elections possibly in a year's time or, or a year after that instead. And Tony, a final question for you on economic policy in Europe more generally. Do you think these results will change the approach which Europe has taken with regard to controlling fiscal policy in individual governments very tightly? Will there be a great leap forward towards some sort of uh, fiscal union which will be accelerated or actually the emergence of Eurosceptic forces will stop this process? I see very little prospect at all of great leap forwards in the direction of closer economic integration. I think the election results will act as a, a big barrier standing in the way of that kind of move. In terms of a slightly fiscal stance, that could come about, I suppose, as a result of pressure coming from people such as Prime Minister Renzi and President Hollande. But one has to say that they did try this before, France and Italy and to some extent Spain, and got a blanket no response from Chancellor Merkel in Germany, who has some other allies in Northern Europe on her side. So it's far from automatic that uh, you would see that kind of looser stance that you're talking about. More likely, I think, is the Germans would reiterate the need for reforms domestically in France and a generally level higher level of competitiveness around Europe. And that's it for this week. My thanks to Hugh Carnegie in Paris, Guy Dinmore in Rome, and Tony Barber with me here in London. World Weekly is produced by Katie Carney. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.